0: text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 6. If you want to turn there, 1 Samuel 6. Last week in chapter 5, we saw that God has no needs, unlike Dagon, who had to be stood back up by his people. God is unique and holy and set apart from every other God. And now here in chapter 6, we see that the severity of God. Might not be like what we expect. First Samuel six one through twenty one. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, "What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place." They said, "If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty." "'But by all means return him a guilt offering. "'Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you "'why his hand does not turn away from you.' "'And they said, "'What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him?' "'They answered, "'Five golden tumors and five golden mice,' "'According to the number of the lords of the Philistines, "'for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. "'So you must make images of your tumors "'and images of your mice that ravaged the land "'and give glory to the God of Israel. "'Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you "'and your gods and your land. "'Why should you harden your hearts "'as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts?' After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away, and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows, on which there has never come a yoke. And yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put in a box at its side the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off And let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Bethshemesh, along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Bethshemesh. Now the people of Bethshemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Bethshemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the man of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashton, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, and the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of and he struck some of the men of Beshemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck seventy men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beshemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come and take it up to you.
1: Let's pray. Father, my prayer to You is that You would let us leave here with a better understanding of what You're like because of these words that You have preserved for us. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine that on Friday night you were in Bucharest at a nightclub at a rock concert. You and your friends, and as you were at the rock concert, fireworks begin to go off inside the building, and an explosion happened, and your friends that you came with, you couldn't see anymore, there was smoke filling the room, there was a trampling of people as 400 people tried to get out of this room filled with smoke. That was the experience of some people Friday night in Bucharest. You imagine going with your friends to have a good time at a rock concert and you're laying down that night saying, what is going on, God? Or imagine that on Saturday night you were on a Russian airliner and early in the morning, right before daybreak, the captain says there's a problem, and you and 224 other people go crashing down into the Sinai Desert in Egypt because that was the experience of 224 people Saturday night. Or late last night after you went to bed at about midnight, Imagine if you were just just walked into a Somali hotel and gunmen came in and began shooting and killed 12 people right in front of you. Because that's what happened last night. I wonder what the people who experienced any of those situations, family members, of the plane going down. People on the plane as it's going down. Where's God at? Why is this happening? Now we know God is not sovereign over all things or these things would never happen, right? I wonder what God you believe in. That's, that's a question I want to put to you this morning. What God do you believe in? In Deuteronomy 32, Moses has just given the law to Israel and he has this final song. And it begins at the, towards the beginning in verse 3. He says, I'll proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. Okay, remember that. His work is perfect for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity. Just and upright is He. That's how the song begins. And towards the end of it, here's how he ends. After he warns Israel how he will sink his teeth into them in his wrath if they turn from him, he ends saying this, see now that I, even I, am He. There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound, and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hands. Where was your God Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? What does He have to do with a plane going down? or a shooting, or a fire. I wonder what God you believe in. The God of the Bible says, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. You say, well, I wonder if that's isolated. Lamentations 3.37 who is spoken and it has come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. How does anything come to pass is the question unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Which Lord? The Lord who brings about both the good and the bad and gives life and kills. Does God have a right to kill? You and I don't have a right to kill. And thus, we're a part of a God-ordained government whom He's handed the sword to kill on His behalf. Otherwise, God retains the right to kill. Is your God a good God? Is your God the God of the Bible? That's a question I want you to consider as we look at one text today of many hundreds that never make our children's coloring books. Because the God of the Bible is a God of grace, but He's a God of severe grace. A.W. Tozer said famously, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. My prayer is, is that you believe, you leave here understanding that God is a little more like the God of the Bible than the God you had in your brain when you came in here. The most important thing about us is what we believe about God. So let's consider the story that Scott just read. We saw last week as the Philistines defeated Israel twice and stole the ark, we saw how they, God has no needs like Dagon has needs. The God of the Philistines. Their God Falls down and bows before the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of Yahweh. And the Philistines have to stand up, their little God. And what happens when the presence of God is in the country of the Philistines? Can you imagine? Everyone gets tumors. A deathly panic. People are dying from tumors. The, the those who aren't dying are have them. Can you imagine what it must have been like, mommies and daddies and children? And why do they have tumors? God gave them tumors. Why? Why the severity of this God who is working salvation? You're going to be asked that question as a Christian. As horrible events unfold. The way you live your life in the midst of pain and suffering will be determined on the God you believe in or don't believe in. So there's seven long months in the country of the Philistines with mice ravaging the place, people sick with tumors. I just googled pictures of tumors. Googled it, hit images, and I wanted to go puke. Tumors can be big and they're gross looking. I I thought about throwing a slide up, but I don't know if you could handle it. I'm not kidding. It made me want to cry when real human beings get these things. And so the Philistines say, enough. Get rid of the ark of Yahweh. Let's, what do we do? So they go to their diviners. They go to their spiritual leaders. The kings have not been of much help. The five kings of the five cities. And they say in verses four through nine, prepare a guilt offering. They say, well, how do we do that? What do we What do we do? And he says, "Here, I'll give you a craft project. Make golden images of your tumors. You know, which one are you going to pick? you going to pick this one on your leg that's shaped like a football. Or are you going to shape pick this one over? Which, so we're going to okay. We're going to look at our tumors and we're going to create a guilt offering." This is a common practice known to them. It was known as sympathetic magic. What you do is whatever is harming you, you make a guilt offering, you make an image of it, and then you send it away. And your hope is as you send the images away, the mice and the tumors will leave with them and Yahweh will accept this offering and lighten His hand on them. You know, they said, let's not be like the Egyptians who hardened their hearts. They ended up dead. You know, He destroyed them. They say, well, how do we get it to them? And the diviners, I think there is a debate among them. People are pretty sure Israel's God is doing this. But they want to find out for sure. Let's do this. Let's take two milk cows who are nursing, who have never been under the yoke. Two cows that don't know how to pull a cart. Two cows that don't want to leave their young that are right there in that pen that we just penned up. And then we'll turn them loose. And if they turn around and do what every other cow in the world would do, we know it was just a coincidence. We don't need to fear. But, if that cart goes straight to Beth Shemesh, to the Israelites, then we will know Yahweh did it to us. Then we'll know it is Him. And God... And His amazing grace shows them, signs His signature to them saying, that was me. You got these plagues from me. Dagon was destroyed because of me. It was him saying, I am the real God. I'm not the fake God. I'm the real one. And it says that their five kings, their five rulers of these cities, it tells you how important of a situation this was, followed behind the cart until it went straight into the field of Joshua in Beth Shemesh. And they knew. And what did they do with the knowledge of the living God? And then what's amazing about this account is the Levites come. They're the ones that are supposed to handle the ark. And there's a stone right there. And they place the box of golden tumors and they place the ark on the rock. They cut up the cart in the wood. They make a burnt offering. And then they burn the cows as a burnt offering to God. And as this cart came in, before that, they all cheered. Look it! God's back on our side. Look at what He did. The cart just came. You know, the Philistines sent the cart back. I don't know if they saw the supernatural reality of how it came. The Philistines knew. But then we're told in verse 19, that some of the men looked at it. Some translations say looked in the ark. Other people think no, they looked at it in a way that was sinful or wrong. The Hebrew manuscripts get difficult here. Uh, In the NASB, it says 50,070 men were struck dead in Israel. In the ESV it says 70 men were struck dead in Israel. And it's difficult because you have manuscripts that say two things. But it's not very likely there was fifty thousand people in Beth Shemesh, so anyway around it God has struck Philistines dead and now he struck the Israelites dead. And then they ask a very good question. Here's what they asked. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Who's able to stand before Him? Really, the Philistines asked this question and said their conclusion was, Not us. Let's get rid of the ark. But then the next question they ask, is horribly off base. What do they ask? And to whom shall He go up away from us? Israel said, who can stand before this God who just... Just imagine 70 people maybe, maybe 50,000 70 people dead. Imagine... You know, they're not crazy, but they are dumb. You know, the circumstances are, it looked like a good day, we cheered, but now we're dead. To whom can we send the ark? To whom can we send the presence of God out of here so that we can be left alone? Just like the Philistines. Let's get rid of Him. Who can stand in His presence? Here's the main thing, my my main challenge to you today as we look at this. My challenge is you must deal with the reality of the severity of God's grace and not just react to the pain of your life. That's in your notes. Look at it again. You must deal with the reality of the severity of God's grace and not just react to the pain of your life. And i got three points here. The first point has three sub-points. The first thing I want to tell you is seek God's Word alone for the reasons for His severity. If someone asks you, why does this happen? Or why does that happen? Here's how the question goes. Is God sovereign? Yes. Can He stop any situation? Yes. Then why didn't He? Why all the severity? Why not just save everyone? Don't give the Philistines, mommies and daddies and children, cancer. Why let a plane go down? Why let people get blown up? And my challenge is, go to the Bible for the answer. It doesn't matter what you think or how you think God ought to be. Because we can't create God. God reveals Himself to us so I don't know if this is possible, but I'm going to run through these. I'm going to give you three things we see from this text that give us answers to the severity of God. We don't get all of our questions answered. We get enough answered. First of all, we need to understand that God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways Your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How far are the heavens from the earth? We know a really long ways. Beyond what we can imagine. And God says, you think you can know why I do what I do and what I'm like. You don't have a clue. You can't just know. Unless you go to my word and find out. So just don't have any confidence that you kind of got a handle on why things are happening the way they are. Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, in a blog in 2008 talked about the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is what he named his blog. Here's what he said. Here's his opinion. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalo, Maniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. That's what Richard Dawkins thinks of the God of the Bible. What does God say? What do we find in His Word for the severity that everyone sees? First, A. He is a holy God and He wants everyone to know it. He is a God who puts His work, His character, and His holiness on display. John said, God is light, not darkness. Our God does not hide from us. He gives us flashing red lights Clues, creation, screaming out, this is what I'm like. And He wants the world to know that He is holy. We're supposed to be bothered by cancer and funerals and plane crashes. When He sent those cows straight away. It's the grace of God on the Philistines. It just is. He told them, I'm the real God. And they found out they cannot stand before their that God without grace. They just found it out. God wasn't being evil towards them. Second, B. The reason for the severity of God's action is the glory of His grace, is that the glory of His grace is on display. So, how is that? How is the glory of His grace on display with tumors and mice, cancer, plane crashes? How is His glory on display? Let's imagine for a second, he doesn't knock down Dagon. He doesn't give them tumors. And they think Dagon is God. Is that loving? Is that God showing kindness to them? We might say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it's a flawed question, isn't it? Bad things never happen to good people. The Bible tells us man is sinful. We might say, well, it's because we live in a fallen world that the plane crashes. That these horrible things happen. Well, how did it, who cursed it? God cursed it when man sinned. You know, when you go back to the garden, God gave women pain in childbirth to let them know something's wrong. God caused the ground to fight against man to say something's wrong. And then in Genesis 3.22, we read this, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What was God doing? God says if they go eat of that tree, they'll live forever. No, I'm driving them out into the world I just cursed. Is that a loving God? That is a loving God. What if He let us? What if He let us think all is okay? as our relationship is broken to Him? What if He let us think His glory was so small that there was no real consequence for sin? When God cursed the earth, He cursed it in hope. Listen to this. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8.18, "...For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared, with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation saying, I want to see the Christians. I want to see the sons of God. Why? And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await adoption as sons. When God cursed the earth, there was hope in it. Because people were going to understand their sin, realize their utter need of the Lord. And when the Christians are revealed, the sons of God, and they receive glory, all creation is set free from bondage. So how in its severity is glory defended? Let me try to make it simple for you. There is a $250,000 fine, a quarter of a million dollars, and two years in prison, and a felony charge that defends the glory of the bald eagle. A quarter of a million dollars, two years in prison, and a felony defends. You might say, well, I don't think a bald eagle has glory. The government does. And you'll think so too if you had to pay it. Go shoot a blackbird and get caught and find out how much a black, how much glory a blackbird has. Kill a person and it demands life for a life because the glory of the person is so valuable. Sin against the eternal God of the universe and it demands eternal life. Do you realize that? You sin against eternal God, not a human being, eternal life. Anything less throws God's eternal glory to the ground. People say, I can't believe in a God that sends people to hell. Well, they can't believe in a God that's very glorious because His glory is defended by His severity for breaking it. judgment reflects the offense and protects the glory of what is good if god didn't wasn't severe with the sinful people he would not care to defend his glory every funeral is the grace of god screaming out you need someone who can raise the dead things are not right. Every cancer diagnosis, as bad as cancer is, Joel, you suffered so much through it. But that's teaching you. Why did you get cancer? Because Adam's race sinned. If someone would suffer that great that cancer is a result of it, It tells us something about the one in whom we offended. God really wants us to know that we need Him. These are flashing red lights of God's grace to us. Why did God strike the Israelites dead? Why did Uzzah die when he touched the ark? Because God loves them. He loves Israel. He cares about Israel. They're satisfied sending Him away. No! Sin devastates. Devastates us. You cannot have a cupcake God that most people want and not have the severity of God. If you want God's love to be so white, hot, scary love, well then one comes with the other. If he's going to protect this love, he's got to protect it with judgment that attains puts a puts a hedge around it. You know, why does God say lay out that only in marriage Should a person have sex? This is unreasonable. Do you realize the sex drive we have? I mean, come on, how difficult. What's God doing? Is He hating us? He's protecting one of the greatest gifts He could ever give man. And so He puts a big fence up that the world says is crazy, but it's because it's special is why He puts the fence up. The third reason we find in Scripture and in this text is God wants to expose. So He wants people to know He's holy. He wants to put the glory of His grace on display. And God wants to expose man's sinful condition and wants them to repent. He wants us to know how desperate we ought to be to cling to him. in Jesus' day. you know the reporters always ask pastors after some big earthquake, well where was God in this?" Most of the pastors they talk to him and Ha and oh uh, uh, they don't you know they try to They're making up their own God as they speak. Jesus got the same question. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So you got Galileans. They've been slaughtered with their sacrifices. By Pilate. And he answered them and said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? See, their question is, is why did they die? Were they the bad ones? Did they just happen to be there? Why did this happen? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish, is Jesus' answer. Or how about those 18 who the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem, Jesus asked? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You know what the right answer to those reporters are? I'll tell you what that hurricane means. That hurricane means is you should have been dead too and you need to repent. You need to humble yourself before God. Don't think they were worse than you. That's the answer. That's the answer Jesus gives to the question. The flashing red lights are saying, repent, repent. It's not, it's not supposed to be this way. You see, what we don't do as people who believe in the sovereignty of God, we don't just say, well, God's sovereign over this, so don't let it bother you. No. It's not supposed to be this way. We're supposed to feel that. We're supposed to desire a body that never gets sick. We're supposed to desire a God who raises the dead. Do you realize the tombs, I say this all the time, when we bury a brother, I just got to see Jerry's father. I'd never actually seen them lower the casket into the ground. Man, you want to talk about humbling. One day, we're going down six feet. How strong are we? The grace of God, that place where tears are flowing, will be a resurrection plot. That's the God we need. It's not, how can God let this happen? How could, what's the big, the big question of the Bible is not how could he let bad things happen to us? It's how could he ever let us live this long and not kill us in our sin? That's the real question. When you know the God of the Bible, you start thinking right. You start asking the right questions. You quit trying to work out your own salvation. And we quit doing what the Philistines were doing and what the Israelites were doing. You know, we get sick, our only prayer is, God, take this away. Change my circumstance. It's the same thing as saying, get the ark out of here. So we stop dying. All of our, Every one of your difficult days is sovereignly ordained by God. And your question, your first question shouldn't be, just change my circumstance. It should be, who is this God? Why is there a bad day? Oh, yes, sin. What has God done about it? Oh, Christ. Yeah, I'm going through a hard time. My grace is sufficient. You see? That's when you're thinking right about the world. I think for the sake of time, I'm only going to preach half half my sermon. (laughs) We'll get to points two and three. But let me summarize the answer, the best answer to the suffering in this world. I don't know all the whys about why he specifically let this happen. I know generally, man sinned, he cursed, he sent a Savior. He guarded the garden so that we wouldn't go in and find life outside of Him. If God hated us, He would let us be satisfied outside of Him. But here's the beauty. You take the love of God and the grace of God. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten son you take the love of God but then you take this God of the Old Testament that Richard Dawkins hates and says is cruel and mean and just all these horrible this horrible description and they come together and they cross where at the cross Because what's the reality? Someone asked you, someone asked you this who is able to stand before God, this holy God? Or, no, that's not the place I was looking. If someone asked you how bad is sin and where is God's justice, where would you point? You'd point to the cross. You see, if you want to know how bad sin is, you look at what God does to Jesus Christ when our sins are on Him. You want the best display of how horrid sin is when our sin is on His beloved, only Son. God's wrath kills His Son. You point to the cross. You say, you want to know how bad sin is? Look at the cross. Look at my bleeding son dying under my wrath. But then if someone said, how great is your love and grace? Where are you going to point? You're going to say, look at my only begotten son bleeding under the wrath of God. I sent him. I gave Him. You're going to point to the exact same place. And the point is this. We cannot pick and say I'm going to believe in the loving God because our loving God puts on the most severe grace we've ever seen. It's offensive and it's appalling and it's glorious and it's wonderful and it's all because it's Him bringing us into the presence of His holiness. It's the biggest miracle in the world. What's their question? Who will bring us? Who can stand before this holy God? Here's Peter's answer. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. We know the answer. We don't have to send Him away. We can let Him be holy and terrifyingly holy, but that same holy God is the God we can come to in confidence because Christ has been the mediator. He's who the Philistines needed and He's who the Israelites needed and He's who you need. Father, My prayer is that we would not try to change who you are. You do everything for a reason. The things that cause us to gasp and cry and wonder why would you do this to human beings? And yet in that, there's a gracious yell and cry saying, look how horrible. Sin that separates you from me is. Lord, it's my prayer that we would be people that are able to talk to our neighbors that are asking these very questions. Where is God in this? Lord, I pray that we would represent you. We're your ambassadors. And your word gets to reveal what you're like. Heighten our view of you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.